Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 50 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We have now had as many episodes as there have been Super Bowls. Uh, it is Thursday night, the first night of the tournament, and I am your host this week, or tonight, I should say. Uh, I'm Sam Klein. I'm coming at you live from the Pepsi Center in Denver, Colorado, uh, where there are NCAA tournament games going on this evening, although not featuring Duke. Um, I will bring in my co-host for this episode. As always, we have Jason Evans in Atlanta, Georgia. Yes, I'm coming to you live from my living room, but there is a TV on mute where I'm watching games and have been doing that all day long. Oh, God, what a great day today is. What an excellent day. And in Washington, D.C., Donald Wine. Uh, I got to watch the game at a bar. I came home, watched a bunch of games, went to go play basketball, and now I'm back watching basketball again. The greatest day of the year. Yeah, so, yeah, so I, I had uh, – I think I may have mentioned this to you guys earlier. I have, I've had tickets to both of the sessions today in Denver. And uh, so the Duke game, thankfully, was the first game on today. So I stayed home. I watched the Duke game, which went on at 10 o'clock my time. And then I came to the Pepsi Center. I made it here for, like, the most of the second half of um, the uh, Iowa State-Iona game. I got to see the whole Purdue Little Rock game, which was crazy. And now I'm here during the Utah game, which is when we're recording. Um, so we're hey, – Wait, 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 wait. wait. Before, before we get to the Duke recap, I, I only want yeah. to ask one thing of you. How crazy was it? What was that stadium like when the Little Rock – sorry, when the Arkansas hey. Little Rock guy hit that 30-foot foot, – buzzer beater i mean that's it, it crazy was, it was completely nuts i mean to be fair i did get to go to the national championship game last year so i have been more excited at a basketball game in the last count in the last like you know solar year um but i would say this is the second best basketball game i went to in the last year uh it's, it's been totally insane here i'm so glad that i went uh and when i looked at the schedule you know when they released the bracket earlier this week i think i may have mentioned this on the podcast or mentioned it to you guys offline that, um, you know, the, the draw this week I thought was kind of, eh, whatever. Um, but very happy that I was here. Very happy that I skipped work today um, to be here for these games. It, it's, been, it's been a crazy day, and, it, and it's just continuing. Um, hopefully this Gonzaga-Seton Hall game, which by the time people listen to this will probably be over, but hopefully that game is also fun as well. Um, so I'm, I'm very happy to, uh, to have been here for that. But um, I did, we, we're, you know, as much as we want to talk about the rest of the games that are going on, the most important thing is that Duke won today. They beat UNC Wilmington. Um, and, and then subsequently, uh, Baylor, the, the five seed in Providence, lost to Yale, who was the 12. So Duke is going to play Yale on Saturday. We're hoping we're going to have this podcast out tonight so that folks can listen to this on Friday or, or on Saturday morning before the game. Um, but let's recap Duke and Wilmington, which I think was a really exciting game and, and provided a lot of little insights for us. I will start with Donald. What were your impressions from the Duke and UNC Wilmington game? Or I should say, as, as the thread on the DBR was noted, the Duke versus UNC by the sea game. Donald, go ahead. So the first thing I wanted to talk about was UNC Wilmington. They shot really well in the first half. They shot over 51%. And that is kind of what you know, kept it close and, and gave people who were hoping for that, uh, that upset uh, in their brackets uh, a little bit of hope. But... Um, I like the fact that we rebounded well. You know, I think we were very good on the boards. I thought we were very good at times on defense. A lot of their shots that they were making were contested shots that were fall away, fade away jumpers um, that had people with hands in their faces. So I I can't really be mad at how how UNC Wilmington 
kind of dominated that first half for a stretch because they were making some tough shots and we were playing some good defense. That defense continued in the second half and they went a little bit colder. Uh, that is where we were able to capitalize. They shot 37% in the second half where we shot 68% in the second half. There's your difference in your ball game. That's how we kind of got out to that long lead, and we were able to withstand the, the run, the, the little mini run that they had at the end. One uh, person I'd like to single out who had a tremendous game was Marshall Plumley. Uh, he had 23 points. I believe it was a career high for him. Uh, we also had Brandon Ingram and Grayson Allen scoring above 20 points. Brandon Ingram with 20, and Grayson Allen also with 23 and 10 rebounds. So everybody was contributing on the glass. Brandon Ingram had nine boards. Marshall Plumlee had eight boards. Luke Kennard had six boards. So everybody was contributing on the glass. And on, you know, on the offensive end, we didn't have that many assists, but I feel like the ball, the, the ball movement was a lot better in the second half. Uh, Grayson Allen had five assists, and he was really uh, key to this run that we had uh, in the middle of the second half that kind of put us out in the lead. Uh, and the, there's one point where uh, we, we talked about before the game they, that UNC Wilmington sent uh, – only West Virginia sent more people to the line uh, this year than UNC Wilmington. We had – And they mentioned, that, they mentioned that on the broadcast, didn't they? They mentioned it several times on the broadcast. And, yeah. And there was a point, I believe, uh, with, 10 min, with 10 minutes and 8 seconds left in the game, uh, C.J. Geddes, their center, fouled out of the game. They were already in the double bonus, and it wasn't like he put them in the double bonus. They were already in it. They had 33 fouls. We went to the line 43 times and hit 31 of them. That is major. Uh, that is a very good statistic for a team that, like over the last few weeks, has struggled a little bit at times from the free throw line. We did struggle in the first half from the line, but the second half, when the points were trying to come and they were and they were following us and sending us to the line, pretty much every single possession, Grayson Allen was was knocking it down. Marshall Plumlee was knocking it down. Matt Jones was knocking it down. So I really like the tenacity that we showed in the second half that kind of put us out over the edge uh, and, and made it so that it was a, a lead that, would, that would, uh, was insurmountable. But uh, I do like how overall we played throughout the game. I didn't think we played terribly um, at any stretch. I think there was a couple of uh, things here and there. But all in all, you know, pretty good start for the, for the defending champs. Yeah, Donald, I think that you summarized the game pretty well. I will throw it to Jason with a question. Um, Jason, at what point in the game were you most worried about Duke losing it? Uh, you know, it's tough to say. I mean, obviously at the half when UNC Wilmington was leading by three, they'd shot really, really well. Donald already pointed this out. They, they, you know, they are not a great three-point shooting team, and they, they were pretty great on three-pointers today. And I was like, oh, man, is this going to be one of those games? And, and by the way, um, Duke is a very good three-point shooting team, and we were terrible today, 26%, 4 of 15, not good. Um, Luke Kennard and Grayson Allen combined 1 of 8 from 3. That is, you know, is, it's tough for Duke to win when that happens because usually we take a lot more than 15 threes. I mean, you know, if we'd shot – instead of 4 of 15, if we'd shot 6 of 23 or something like that, um, I, I'm not sure we win this game, but so I was worried at halftime and then, you know, I guess uh, they started to make a little bit of a run, uh, in the final few minutes, but I, I was never all that worried. Um, there was one point they got kind of close and then Derek Thornton had a really nice three point play that he made. And, and I sort of said to myself, I went, okay, well that that's ball game. It's all over now. Um, I, I mean, you know, I was periodically worried cause we're always periodically worried when you're playing in the NCAA tournament and, one loss means the season's over. 
but the thing I wanted to talk about, and Donald already brought it up, you have to talk about Plumlee. Um, and I want to talk about a tale of two halves, because after the game, Coach K was being interviewed on CBS, and he said at halftime, he'd said, he told Marshall, and he told the whole team, Marshall's not playing well. So in the first half, I looked at the box score, Marshall Plumley was two of two from the field, you know, so he'd hit his two shots. He had a grand total of two rebounds. He had zero block shots. In the second half, he went seven of eight from the field. He hit five of six free throws. He had six rebounds and three block shots. And he was, there was a long stretch of that game that he was dominant um, in a way that we've really never seen him be dominant. Uh, and, and you love that because we need him to continue to assert himself. Uh, we're going to talk about Yale in a little bit. Yale is actually, despite not being a really big team, they're a tremendously good rebounding team. We mentioned I mentioned that in the preview. Um, I'm not surprised that they out-rebounded Baylor today. We're going to need Marshall to continue to be this kind of player. And I think, as a lot of people do, that when he tossed his, you know, his face guard, his face mask for his broken nose, he tossed it aside, and I think – he like unleashed himself. It's like and then immediately, and then immediately dunked like that. Yeah, that, threw it aside, and that possession, he got the ball inside and tomahawk dunked it. And then the next, I think it was like three of the next four possessions that we had were alley oop tomahawk dunks to Marshall Plumley. Yeah, and, and by the way, you know one thing worth pointing out: alley oop tomahawk dunks. Um, uh, you know, all his baskets for the most part were were dunks. And, and some of that's on him. Hey, you, you got to finish. I can't do it. <laughs> but a lot of it is, I thought Ingram and Allen were doing an incredible job of getting the ball to Marshall in a situation where he had a wide open dunk. I mean, he was nine of 10. Frankly, how many of his shots should he have missed? Not many. Laura Keeley, by the way, uh, the, the the beat reporter for the News and Observer who, uh, who covers Duke, Laura Keeley tweeted out that um, this was, that Marshall Plumlee's nine of 10 was the the best shooting performance by a Blue Devil since Christian Leitner went 10 for 10 and 10 for 10 free throws against Kentucky in the greatest game ever played in 1992, a game that I was at, by the way, front row seats on the baseline. Um, but that's a story for another a game, day. A game, a, game, a game that I probably watched but also fell asleep during because I was three years old. Yeah, I was there, front row seats in the baseline. When Grant Hill throws the, the fateful pass to Christian Leitner, Grant Hill almost stepped on my foot. Oh, wow. Well, that's, that's, pretty, uh, that's pretty awesome. History, yeah. Um, I, so, I, so, yo, go, sorry, finish your thought. Yeah, so I was going to say, the only other thing I wanted to add about the game, and, and um, you know, again, I, I thought Allen and Ingram especially did a really nice job of feeding Plumlee in ways that he could score. He doesn't get those 23 points if he doesn't have his teammates setting him up in some big, big ways. I feel like it's sort of a relief to get this win in a game where Duke wasn't at its best. We were we were good. We were all right. But this wasn't the best Duke Blue Devils that we could see. Um, and, uh, you know, especially Grayson Allen and Luke Kennard, I already mentioned, did not have good days shooting from the outside. Y- you would hope that the, the law of averages would say that over the course of the next game and hopefully games beyond that, we will shoot better than this. And if we do, I, I really like our chances to maybe make a surprising run um, and get a little bit further than people thought we would. Uh, a lot of people thought we were going to lose to Baylor, but not so much. Should we talk about that game? Well, I, I was just going to add on, on the. I think that, that Ingram and Allen did a really good job of, of getting themselves into the lane and, uh, and, and making those open shots available because Wilmington really couldn't help themselves from fouling. And, and that was the thing. You know, I, I think Len Elmore, who none of us really appreciate necessarily as an announcer, um, we were all worried when we, when we saw that he was going to be calling the game 
that um, you know, oh, he's going to be he's going to be calling it against Duke, and and people are just going to get the same impressions about Duke that they always get that are probably unfair. And to Len Elmore's credit, I think he actually held it in check for a fair amount of the game. I think there was a point in the second half where he was like, oh, now Duke's getting all the calls. But but by that point, I think it felt like Duke was overwhelming Willington. Uh, in the first half, when when Duke pretty quickly took a a pretty big lead in the in the foul discrepancy, it wasn't you know, oh, the refs are favoring Duke. It's that Duke plays a certain way and that Wilmington plays a certain way and that Wilmington really just couldn't um, couldn't match Duke's ability to drive, especially when it came to breaking the press. I think that a huge part of the game today and a huge part of Duke's ability this season to not fall as low as I think some people thought they were going to was that they're able to break the press because they have a lot of guys who can dribble and a lot of guys who can pass. And um, even though... Duke isn't very, isn't very much a deep team. Um, they're a pretty savvy team, and they're able to break the press. And once they break the press, um, they have a few guys, Allen and Ingram especially, who can get quickly from you know, the three-point line extended to the hole. Uh, and and that's, been, that's been a huge key for Duke, and that was a huge key today uh, to get separation from Wilmington and, and to end up uh, going away with the, with the win rather than having it be a tight game the whole way. Um, but let's, let's focus now on Saturday's game. Duke is playing Yale. I only got to watch bits and pieces of it because, like I mentioned, I, I was at the, the games at the Pepsi Center. Um, so I'll start with Jason, and, the, and then we'll go to Donald. Uh, sort of what are your impressions from watching Yale over Baylor today? I know that we talked a little bit about Baylor's size and their rebounding ability, but as Jason referenced, um, Yale was able to out-rebound Baylor today. So why did that happen, and what do you think Duke has to do, especially knowing what we saw from them in the first game, uh, to counter Yale's attack and their, and their rebounding ability uh, to make it to the Sweet 16. Well, you know, it sounds like a cliche to say, oh, this Ivy League team is really fundamentally sound, but Yale is really fundamentally sound. <laughs> um, uh, I think I mentioned when we were doing the preview last week, Yale has three different guys, Justin Shears, Brandon Sherrod, um, and Nick Victor, all who average over seven rebounds a game. Um, they are a really, really good rebounding team, considering, you know, most of their guys are 6'5", six, 6'7", six, maybe 6'8". I mean, they're not their size and their and their bulk is not at all overwhelming. But they position themselves really well and they go after the ball really, really well. And of course, today the story was Makai Mason. And by the way, I, I heard a rumor. I don't know if this is correct. Supposedly, Duke talked to Makai Mason when he was uh, a recruit, when he was you know trying to decide on a school. Uh, Duke didn't offer him a scholarship. Apparently, they sort of offered him like a preferred walk-on kind of situation. Um, and he he elected not to go to Duke and, and went to Yale instead. Um, and, uh, and much as I, I wish he was on our team, uh, he made a great choice because he's really thrived there and really done well. And, and today, 31 points. He's one of the leading scorers in the NCAA tournament so far. Um, but, but an interesting thing I noticed about the way he played today, um, he was hot kind of early um, and he helped stake Yale to their lead. And then late in the game, he was just going for fouls and he ended up shooting 11 of 11 free throws. And he's not like a, he's not one of these 85% free throw shooters. He hits about, he hits about 75%. He's a good free throw shooter, but not like incredible. But um, he, he knew that, that uh, Baylor was going to foul him and, and he was ready to go to step up to the line and hit the shots that he needed to, to hit. Um, and he, he carried Yale down the stretch, but I thought he was forcing um, more than a little bit. And I really look forward to, uh, I, I would imagine that we will see, um, Matt Jones on him. I think Matt Jones is is one of the finest one on one defenders in all of college basketball. Um, and and I'm not sure what Yale will do 
uh, if Makai Mason is not able to generate the same kind of offense that he did in this game. And and, and it's worth pointing out, um, uh, Baylor became so focused on him that that other guys were able to get open and get into good situations. And, and Mason made some nice passes. He had four assists. Um, and I think it sort of set up everything for for Yale. Um, and and I, I sort of feel like some of the mistakes, some of the traps that Baylor fell into, I, I don't know that Duke's going to fall into those traps. That said, it's worth noting, Duke and Yale are familiar with each other. We played back in um, December, and, uh, and and it was a game that was fairly close for a while. Um, Duke ended up stretching it out and winning by 19 points, but, but a lot of that was the second half of the game. Um, at halftime, uh, Duke only led 38-36. Um, so we sort of ran them out of the gym, gym late in the game, um, but uh, uh, you know they uh, they, they know Duke with, and Duke Emil knows Jefferson, them. And right? It's, it so was with, with Emil Jefferson, Jefferson, but they yeah, and they had Jack Montague. So, they had Jack Montague, their point guard, who's no longer with them. Um, we talked a little bit about that scandal. So both teams are missing a a, a key leader um, on the team. Uh, but but they're not a pushover, not by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, to, to come into Cameron and only be down two at halftime. You know, they're a pretty good team. Um, and uh, this is going to be a home game for them. I, I have a friend of mine um, who who said, oh, I'm going to go up to Providence and get tickets. You know, do you think they'll be easy to get? And I was like, no, tickets are going to be impossible to get. As I mentioned on the podcast the other day, the distance from the Yale campus to the Dunkin' Donuts Center in Providence is just under an hour and a half. And you have to take like six turns to get there. It's just straight up I-95. It's an easy route. I think the entire town of New Haven, I won't be at all surprised if there are just tons of Yale people who descend upon Providence to go root their team on, you know, Yale hasn't won an NCAA tournament game in something like 50 years. So this is a really, really big deal for them. Donald, I, I, I prattled on endlessly. What you got on Yale? So the, the one thing I want to point out uh, from the game, I believe it was, it was November 25th, the game that we played against Yale. Uh, I was looking at the recap of how we ended up turning it around the second half and the credit really was the one-three-one zone. We were doing man in the first half, and while they weren't shooting well from three-point land, uh, I believe Jack Montague had their had three of their four uh, three-pointers in that game. We we switched in, and Matt Jones had a great was credited for having a great game defensively at the top of that one-three-one zone. I think that was the key. I'm not sure that we employ that if we are going against a team that has a Makai Mason that's going to go off for 31 points. We don't know if he's, if, if they've kind of, uh, you know, used all of their points up, so to speak, um, in the fact that this was kind of their history game and now they're just kind of playing with house money. Um, but I, I would expect that Coach K would probably employ the one three one zone again with Matt Jones near, at the top um, or maybe Brandon Ingram at the top because remember in that game, uh, Brandon Ingram came off the bench. And at that point, it was probably his about to become his coming out party. So we didn't see a full Brandon Ingram um, at that game. And Matt Jones was at the top of that zone. This time around, we have Brandon Ingram that's probably going to be at the top of that zone with Matt Jones at the back of the zone with uh, and uh, Marshall Plumlee in the middle. So uh, maybe that is the look that will be different, that will encourage um, – Encourage our guys to go kind of be tenacious, especially uh, with uh, some of these guys on three-point land. One really quick thing I want to point out about that that previous Yale game, and, and then, um, Sam, I'll, I'll go to you. Uh, so today, uh, Grayson Allen was 0 for 4 from three-point range. Um, he did not hit a three-pointer. Um, and there have been a couple times that that's happened this year. He didn't hit a three-pointer against UVA. He went 0 for 4 against them. He did not hit a three-pointer against Boston College. 
Um, he was 0 for 1. Or against Indiana, he was 0 for 1 in both of those games. And the one other game, there have been five games all year. The one other game where Grayson Allen did not hit a three-pointer was against Yale on November 25th. He was 0 for 2. Um, hopefully, the law of averages will say that that uh, Grayson Allen, who generally hits between three and six three-pointers a game, uh, will go off and and get uh, a, a, you know a little more than zero three-pointers. Um, I really feel like there's some potential for Duke to, um, if they have a good day from the outside, it, it could be a really long day for for Yale. Sam, what you got? Yeah, I, I was going to say I don't know what the exact number is, but I know that um, when Duke loses in the tournament, it is more often than not in the first game of a weekend and not in the second game of a weekend. Uh, because Coach K has a has a very good ability, and perhaps it's a little different for this game because they because it is an opponent who we have seen so far, who we've seen once before this year. But Coach K has a good ability to turn around uh, the preparation and and be ready for the second opponent. And I think part of that is going to be, you know, getting used to the environment that they're in in the shooting environment. I think that you know a lot of times in these tournament settings, the teams talk about how weird it is to be playing in these big arenas where they have a lot more space and the depth perception is a little weird. And sometimes the the the, most, the thing that's most affected by that environment is the is the outside shooting because they don't have the they don't have the depth perception on on the three point shooting. So hopefully that kind of thing improves from the first game to the second game. I think that um, Duke is going to come up with it with a uh, a game plan to to counter Yale, especially on the boards. Um, and, and I think that the shooting's just going to get better from the first game because they're going to be more used to playing in this arena. They're going to get another day to practice in there, I would imagine, tomorrow, and, um, and hopefully that, that sort of thing sorts itself out. Um, so we'll see. I, I, would, I would hope that, that Duke is able to, to match their performance from the first Yale game, but as you guys pointed out, um, Yale has the ability to, to hang with Duke, uh, and, and the crowd should be in Yale's favor given the location. So uh, it should be an interesting game, and uh, and Duke certainly doesn't want to lose this team, and they do want to want to move on to the Sweet 16. I think we'll uh, we'll wrap up here. Wait, one uh, actually, one, one, one final yeah. point that I want to make. Well, uh, and then I'll, every, and then everybody has stuff to say. Sorry, yeah. go ahead, Donald. <laughs> so the one final point I want to make: we were talking. You you brought up the uh, the fact that Coach K doesn't uh, is very good at the turnaround, the the turnaround between the first game and the second game. I think in this regard, you know, we've talked about our depth the entire season. We've talked about how our legs were tired or, or, or something like that. Um, I don't think we were we played tired today. And the fact that we were the first game of the entire day, I think that bowls well because with us playing Yale, I'm pretty sure that the, uh, the, the powers that be at CBS and TNT will want to put this game on Saturday night, which means that our guys just get that much extra rest and we have two hours extra rest on uh, on Yale, who played after us. So I think that bodes well, especially uh, given how Coach K is very good about preparation. He just has that that much extra time to figure out how to strike them uh, in the heart. And speaking of rest, it is worth noting that Yale is not one of those teams that plays a lot of players. Today, they had two guys play 39 minutes. They had one play 35. They had four guys play off their bench, but one of them played one minute. One of them played five minutes. They really, they only got a total um, 20, 31, 32 minutes off their bench. Not a lot of time off their bench. They're not a team that goes very deep. So somewhat like Duke, uh, don't expect Yale to be, Yale plays at a very slow tempo. Um, Ken Palm measures them as like one of the, the 80 lowest, slowest teams in the country in terms of their tempo. So they don't push the ball up the court a lot. 
um, uh, very different from UNC Wilmington in that regard. Uh, I don't think this is going to be the kind of game that will be, if it is a close game, if it is a nail biter, I don't think it's the kind of game that will be exhausting. I don't think you'll see Duke getting really worn out. And, and as long as we're talking about depth, we should note that Chase Jeter continues to give Duke very, very valuable minutes uh, and, and play really well. I mean, Ch- the Chase Jeter that we've seen the past, I don't know, let's say half dozen games or so, and we saw it again today. He was very, very good today um, in his 11 minutes. It's completely different from the Chase Jeter we saw the previous 25 to 30 games of the season. Um, he is now providing Duke with some legitimate um, depth off the bench uh, as, as a big man. Um, and I'm, I'm really encouraged by the fact that we're not playing a team that's going to try and you know run us to death and, and potentially wear us out. Um, if we were playing Baylor, um, who has more depth. Baylor today had four guys play double-digit minutes off the bench. Um, I think it'd be a very, very different story. So, yay! Um, I'm glad that we got that we got Yale. I think they're a team that we match up pretty well with. And that, and that Yale doesn't have Rico Gathers. They yeah, do not have right. Rico Gathers. Yeah, that's a good thing. Um, so let's, let's move to uh, player of the game, and then we'll close with parting shots. Jason, your player of the game for Duke versus UNC Wilmington. Well, it's very tempting um, to pick Plumlee, uh, but I'm going to go back to the fact that I think Plumlee's big game was at least partially a result of Grayson Allen and Brandon Ingram feeding him so well and giving him those easy shots. So I'm going to go with Grayson Allen as my player of the game. Um, Grayson Allen had a very tough day from the field, four of 12, 0 of three, three pointers. Um, but he got to the free throw line, 15 of 17, which is a ton of free throws. He made more free throws than UNC Wilmington did. He on his own out free throwed UNC Wilmington. He made 15. They only made 14. By the way, he made 15 and 17. They made 14 and 19. So he shot really well on free throws as well. He had five assists to lead the team in assists. He had 10 rebounds to lead the team in rebounds. So lead the team in scoring, lead the team in rebounds, lead the team in assists. Hey, MP3 had a great game, but I'm going with Grayson Allen. Donald, who you got? I'm going to go with the other half of that uh, duo. I'm going with Marshall Plumlee. Uh, I'm go- uh, let me let me rephrase. I'm going with Marshall Plumley without the mask because I think once he discarded the mask, Marshall Plumley <laughs> became a monster, and that's what we want to see out there. So, plain and simple, Marshall Plumley without mask, player of the game. And I'll take the third guy. I think that could have reasonably been taken, which is Brandon Ingram. Um, the way that he was able to drive to the hole, he had a few layups today that are moves that I don't think I don't think any recent Duke player could have made other than him. Um, you know, Jabari Parker, I think, was good at getting to the hole a little bit the way that Ingram does. But the way that Ingram can take the ball from, like, basically half court and just will his way from half court right to the rim is really impressive. And, and we saw a lot of that today against Wilmington, and I think that that was a huge part of where the win came from. Um, we'll hey, by the way, parting shot. Oh, yeah, as long ahead. as you're mentioning Brandon Ingram, um, sure. uh, this, just this past week, um, uh, Draft Express, which is sort of the most respected of the NBA draft mock draft folks, moved Brandon Ingram up to number one. They say that Brandon Ingram is now the number one prospect, and that he will go ahead oh, of yeah. what's his name, Ben Simmons from LSU. Um, and I'm not yeah, surprised. There, and if I had a pick, I would probably take him number one. There was a good. Uh, I'll, I'll recommend this, and, and hopefully I'll remember to post it in the. Actually, I think it was already posted on the forum. I think it may have gotten its own thread. The Matt Norlander CBS article about Brandon Ingram. This it week. did. It did. Um, it's a wonderful article. Yes. Yeah. Really interesting. If you haven't read it, you really should. Um, just highlighted like what a what a like low key guy he is, and how you know he might be Duke's best player this year. Uh, and it's very rare for a guy to be a freshman and to be Duke's best player and to just not be talked about 
um, even the most on his team because I think that Grayson Allen has garnered a lot of the attention this year. So that definitely go read that article. It's been linked on the forums. You can see it all over the place. Um, so definitely go go check that out. Um, uh, but let's uh, let's do parting shots, um, Jason. If you want that to be your parting shot, you can. But if you want to take another one, go for it. Well, that, that one's mostly my parting shot. The only other thing I'll add is, folks, if you have not seen it yet, and I don't know, I haven't looked to see if it's been linked on the boards, I'll certainly put a link to it. Um, Tareen Prince of Baylor, uh, who's, uh, who's one of the seniors on their team. Yeah, Donald's already laughing. This is just too great. Um, and, and, and had a good game today, um, uh, 28 points. He was, uh, he was Baylor's best player. After the game, um, he had the unfortunate, difficult task of sitting in the interview room and being interviewed and spoken to by the media after his basketball career, um, at least his college career, had ended. And, and God, I, I, I feel for these kids. It is so difficult to do that, you know, only minutes after after your, uh, again, your career is all over. And a reporter asked him, oh, just one of the stupidest questions you've ever heard. The reporter said, how did Yale out-rebound Baylor? And Taurine Prince You've got to hear it. You've got to listen to it to believe it. He said, well, you go up above the rim and you put your two hands on the ball and you bring it down and that's a rebound. And they got more of those than we did. Folks, it is such a perfect answer. It is so funny. I'll be honest. I couldn't really tell whether he was being sarcastic or whether he was being stupid, but whatever it was, it was brilliant. And the reporter had no follow-up. So you got to see it. It's, it's great stuff. Donald? I don't really have a parting shot other than to say that this is the greatest day of the year. Uh, these first two days of the NCAA tournament, uh, I'm glad that I was able to see most of these games. And I know, you know, Sam is out there uh, in between games at this point uh, uh, on this podcast. But uh, if you haven't had a chance uh, to take in some of the action, take a couple hours, especially tomorrow. It's Friday. Ain't nobody doing any work tomorrow. So just get out there. Enjoy a little basketball because this is the time of year that's it's best to be a basketball fan. And the people who, you know, it's St. Patrick's Day, so happy St. Patrick's Day to all you Irish out there and to all those people who weren't Irish. We're sorry that we took over your bar space, but it's basketball season right now. All right, I'm going to finish with a parting shot that I think you guys will appreciate, despite the fact that Carolina managed to beat Dunk City tonight, and I know that we're all very sad about that. Um, I was driving around this morning before the Duke game started, and I got off the highway. There was like a there was like a weird interchange where I had to – normally there's like two lanes available. There was only one lane available. They had traffic blocked off, and I was like, what's going on? I made this other turn, and I realized that the reason they had the traffic blocked was that they had a car pulled over on the side of the road, and they were issuing him some sort of citation. And the car that had been pulled over had a UNC Chapel Hill sticker on the back. Um, so uh, that guy was the reason the traffic was stopped, but he was getting a ticket, so – um, to that guy, shout out for uh, getting your ticket from the uh, maybe Arapahoe County. I don't know. So one of the South Denver County uh, Sheriff Departments. Um, hopefully that's a good sign for what's to come for Carolina. Maybe this weekend. Uh, UNC just so needs to stop we, cheating. That's right. That's right. It, it, it's just all about them breaking rules. Um, so maybe it'll come back to bite them at some point down the line. We'll see. Uh, so anyway, thanks for tuning in. Um, for Jason Evans, for Donald Wine, I am Sam Klein. We will talk to you again, hopefully, uh, soon after the Yale game. Um, but in the, for the time being, check out the forums at forums.dukebasketballreport.com. Um, comment uh, on, on us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, wherever you find us. Um, participate in the conversation, and we will talk to you again soon. I will see you guys uh, very shortly. And uh, Duke fans, take us home. <laughs>